Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Um, yeah, good, good morning everyone. It's, uh, it's great to be together here this morning. Um, there's nothing quite like just gathering together to, to worship Jesus and um, his presence was powerful in worship and um, we just want to gather around the word and continue in that attitude of worship now as well. Um, so as Rick said, for those of you maybe in the room who don't know, I'm one of the um, youth pastors here alongside Ryan. Um, and so I'm going to be continuing on our new series, um, looking at from the familiar to the fascinated um, looking at encounters um, with the risen Lord. Um, so we're going to go through these chronologically uh, as they happen. Um, so this week I'm going to be focusing on Mary Magdalene. She was the first person to encounter um, the risen Jesus. And so we're going to be focusing on her um, this morning. So I'm just going to get stuck straight in. Um, there might be some people in the room who are not that familiar with Mary, or maybe you're very familiar with her story, but I think it's important to kind of look at a wee bit of actually what had gone on in her life uh, before this point, before she met the risen Lord. So what was her, her journey and what was her story? So we're first introduced to Mary um, in Luke chapter 8, um, where we're told Jesus cast seven demons out of her. So she's battered, she's bruised, she's injured and in agony from the suffering that demon possession entails. Uh, and in steps Jesus. And we can only speculate what um, this moment would have been like as Jesus looked upon Mary in her desperation, um, as only Jesus could have seen Mary for who she was in this derailed state. And it's, it's from this moment of deliverance and conversion that she becomes loyal to Jesus until the bitter end. She's with him until he dies. And um, for Mary, she... She, she pledges her, her, her whole life to Jesus from this moment on. She spends practically every day with Jesus from this moment of deliverance and conversion. And we know the story of Mary and Martha where Jesus has come to their home and Martha's busy um, doing all the chores and getting ready for Jesus being in their home. But Mary, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, fixed on his every word. She just, she just had to be with Jesus all the time from this moment of her conversion. She stays by his side through his torture and his suffering right up until he dies. Mary, along with some of the other women, um, are literally the, the people that see Jesus hanging on the cross in his last moments. They literally witness Jesus take his last dying breath. And then Mark tells us that Mary is even still by Jesus' side as he's being, being brought to his place of burial. And then um, Mark tells us that uh, Mary is by his side as the big stone is rolled over the tomb. And she sits opposite, just staring uh, at this tomb where Jesus' body has been laid. And for Mary, the past few months and years of her life, pretty much all she has known is being with Jesus. And um, she followed him wherever he went. Uh, Jesus is now gone. The others had uh, returned home. The disciples had gone home. But for Mary, she, she had nothing really to go back to. She had no home to go back to. She had no job to go back to. So she's just sitting there opposite the tomb where Jesus has been, been buried in complete um, despair. Uh, Jesus was everything that she had. He's now gone and she's just sitting opposite the tomb. And it's, it's into this context, it's into this 
feeling um, of despair and hopelessness that Mary has, that Jesus appears to her. Um, and so we are going to just uh, read the John's account. Uh, all of the, the Gospels um, record the resurrection of Jesus slightly differently, but they all include Mary in their account. And we're going to pick up John's um, account here in chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. So you can follow along on the screens or open your Bible app on your phone or um, get your Bible that you've brought out, uh, that you've brought along with you and you can, you can follow along. So let's read these words. Let me, let me just pray before, before I read. Father God, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you that it is alive and active and it still speaks today. And we just pray as we read this that you would challenge us, you would encourage us, you would inspire us to follow you into your ways and your truth and your life. So Holy Spirit, just come and speak to us. Reveal yourself afresh to us, Jesus, as we read these words. Would they come alive? So come and speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So it says this in John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried, away, carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that, they had said, that he had said these things to her. <laughs> what a story. Um, Phil did such an amazing job introducing the series last week, looking at the significance and the power um, of the resurrection and what that means for us. Phil highlighted that the resurrection means we have the power to have our sins forgiven, the power to conquer sin, the power to be God's children and ambassadors, the power to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, 
and the power to overcome the devil. And this is where I want to come in today. There are some very significant uh, things in this first resurrection uh, encounter that we need to note. And the first thing is the significance of the garden. Isn't it striking that it was in a garden where it all went wrong for humanity? It was in a garden where uh, sin and death entered the world, but it's also in a garden where our sin is removed and life is restored once again. Uh, The scriptures tell us that Jesus began his work of redemption in the garden of Gethsemane, and he brings this work to a close with his burial and resurrection, also in a garden. I think Jesus um, did this intentionally to show us that he came to undo what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. So in this first garden, in the Garden of Eden, it was the beginning of all evils. Adam was overthrown by Satan. Death first made its entrance into the world, and Adam's liberty to sin brought himself and all humanity um, into bondage. But in this garden where Jesus appears to Mary, in this garden was our restoration from all evils. In this garden, the second Adam overcame death and Satan himself. In this garden, uh, resurrection life enters and we are restored from death. And in this garden, we are freed from the bondage and the curse of sin. That deserves an amen. 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 G.K. Chesterton, he puts it like this. On the third day, the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder. The world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth. And in a semblance of a gardener God walked again in the garden, not in the cool of the evening, but in the dawn. Because of the resurrection, what Adam and Eve enjoyed in the Garden of Eden, we can now enjoy again. We are restored to relationship with God. We can be in his presence. We can stand before him as we just sang, holy and blameless and righteous in his sight. Because Jesus has risen from the garden tomb, he's conquered death and sin once and for all. And that is why we're able to do this series. That's why we're able to talk about encountering the risen Jesus. We can now be in relationship with our Lord again. This is available for all of us in the room. Do do you believe it? Do you believe that you can encounter Jesus? Do you want to encounter Jesus? Do you expect that you will encounter Jesus in your life? And so the garden is so significant in this story. So if, if, if we want to encounter Jesus, um, how are we to go about it? Let's look at this um, story, Mary's encounter with Jesus as a bit of a, of a case study and see, see what we can learn. Mary's encounter with Jesus. Firstly, Mary sought after Jesus. She sought to be with Jesus. We see this in a number of different ways in the story. Um, I'm just going to pull out uh, a, couple of, a couple of points on this, so she, she went to be with Jesus very early in the morning. Mary Magdalene was completely bereft of the man that loved her like no other man ever had. She uh, goes to Jesus' tomb before anybody else is awake. The only thing that would help in this grief-stricken moment was to be close to the body of Jesus. I, I'm sure um, if you've lost a loved one in the room this morning, you know what that's like. You need to be close to their body. 
but Saturday was a Sabbath, and Jews couldn't be near anything that's dead on the Sabbath. And so um, recently, pretty much all Mary knew was being with Jesus. So at the earliest opportunity, very early in the morning on this Easter Sunday, she gets up to go and be with Jesus. She had developed a desire to be with Jesus, and it couldn't and wouldn't be put off. So she sought after Jesus. Secondly, Mary stood outside the tomb and wept. The disciples had left. They had went back to where they were staying, probably, probably trying to come up with some explanation of where Jesus' body was. Um, Mark tells us that some of the other women trembled and fled, but not Mary. She's standing outside the tomb. She clings on to Jesus' body, even when he's in a tomb. And if we want to encounter the risen Jesus, if we want to encounter Jesus, we need to stay while others flee. We need to seek him boldly while others return to their comfort. We need to let nothing get in the way of this. We need to be like Moses who um, regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the, the, the treasures of Egypt. We need to let nothing get in the way. And Mary, she's standing outside the tomb and she fears that Jesus is gone and gone for good and she is weeping. And I believe that Jesus... Uh, can't bear to see Mary in her pain anymore. And it's her literal tears that make Jesus come forth and show himself to her. So if we seek after Jesus, if we literally cry out for him in desperation, he is sure to show himself to us. And this is a God-given promise. We read it in 20, Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All of your heart. How much are you longing to meet with Jesus? How much are you desperate to be with Jesus? Are you crying out for Jesus in your life? Mary also sought Jesus with perseverance. It tells us that she looked again. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb once again. Mary knew that the tomb was empty the disciples had already been in. They, the two of them had both been in and confirmed that it was empty. Um, so Mary's standing outside the tomb all alone, weeping, and she thinks, I'm just going to have another look in. Why? When she knows it's empty, why would she do that? Um, I don't know about you, but uh, for me, whenever I've lost something and I know that I need to find it, very often it's my car keys, it could be receipts for Lenny, it could be a, a meal voucher that's going to expire soon that Tara and I really need to use. Um, and we put all that kind of stuff in a, a, a drawer in the kitchen. And I'm sure you've all got that place where everything gets thrown, a cupboard, a drawer, somewhere, bedside table. And um, when I'm looking for this thing that I know I need to find, I'll go to that drawer and I will flick through everything. I'll turn it inside out and it's not there. And I'll look everywhere else, but I'll keep going back to that drawer again and again in desperation and in hope that it just might show up in that drawer. Uh, and so it is with Mary. I think that she actually goes to look in the tomb again because she's just desperate that Jesus would be there. She's just hoping that maybe she might have been in a corner that she, she, she missed. And she goes back in desperation. So if we want to encounter Jesus, we need to um, seek him with perseverance. Um, you can hear uh, the, the desperation in Mary. Um, if we want to encounter Jesus, we need to persevere. If we, if we go to the prayer room and we don't get a, a glimpse of Jesus, go again and again and again. 
One glance from his eyes, one look from his face, and it's all worth it. Let's be a people who seek Jesus perseveringly, patiently, uh, just desiring anxiously still that he would show himself to us. And finally, Mary was fixated on being with Jesus. Three times she talks about trying to find where he is. So firstly to the disciples, just listen to the desperation in her voice uh, and in what, what she's saying. She says to the disciples, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. She wants to find Jesus. She says to the angels, they have taken my Lord away. Imagine saying that to angels, my Lord. She knew him that well that she could say my Lord to the angels. They have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. She wanted to find Jesus. And then even to Jesus, she says, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. She wants to get to Jesus. You can hear the desperation in her voice of how much she wants to find Jesus. She isn't caught up with the coming and going of the disciples. She could very easily have gone back with them. She isn't even caught up in the fact that two angels have just appeared to her. She's just focused on getting to Jesus. Mary's heart was set on one object, like a, a bow shot from an arrow. She sped right on to the target of her heart's desire. It says in Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Are you willing to throw off the things that are hindering you from getting to Jesus? They might even be good things, but they're stopping you getting to Jesus. Are we willing to deal with that sin and work through that sin in our lives so that we can actually run this race, that we can follow Jesus all the days of our lives? In the chaos of everything that's going on in your life and around you, what is your heart set on? What is your eyes fixed on? What are your eyes fixed on? Is it Jesus? Is it Jesus? Is it Jesus? I, I love how um, Matthew records this account um, of this first resurrection encounter. Matthew 28, verses 8 to 10. That's a little small. Hopefully you can read it. Um, he says this. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to his, to his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, where they will see me. Notice this line. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. This is a beautiful picture of the mix of intimacy and reverence. They, they bowed in, in worship, they bowed in reverence, and they held onto his feet tightly in an act of intimacy. And as we go on this journey of looking at these different encounters with the risen Lord, we will see that in each of them, there is intimacy and there is reverence present. 
And uh, I believe that this is what the Lord wants to lead us into as we go through this series, into deeper encounters of intimacy and a renewed reverence. So let's look at uh, Mary's encounter uh, and the intimacy and the reverence that we see in this. So firstly, looking at the intimacy, um, Mary, she recognized Jesus' voice. Jesus was present before Mary, but she didn't see him or didn't recognize him. And just one word from Jesus, and instantly she knew who it was. It wasn't a big sermon. It wasn't a long conversation. It was one word. One word. One word from the Savior changes everything. One personal word from Jesus will outweigh a million words that can be spoken from a pulpit, a platform, or a stage. When you hear Jesus speaking personally into your life, there is nothing else like it. There's nothing like it. And so one word, and Mary knew who it was. Mary knew his voice, but it takes time to, to learn and to know someone's voice. We see this in the story of Samuel in the Old Testament where God says Samuel's name and he goes to Eli because he thinks Eli's calling him. And this happens three times. And after the third time, Eli tells Samuel to go back and lie down in your bed. And if you hear the voice again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Samuel didn't know God's voice straight away. He didn't know that it was God speaking to him. This shows us that actually it takes time to learn um, the Lord's voice. Mary had spent, like we had talked about, pretty much every day with Jesus since her, her point of deliverance and conversion. She had got to know the voice of her Savior. We know the story that I touched on earlier of Mary and Martha, where Jesus goes to their home and Mary is fixed on Jesus. She's listening to his every word. Uh, his words are like honey to Mary. Every syllable is a pearl, and she treasured his words. She fed on his words. She abided in Jesus, so that in the garden, whenever Jesus said, Mary, she knew who it was. She knew his voice. And just imagine the intimacy and the beauty of this moment. In the Mary's utter hopelessness, in the Mary's despair, um, her, her king, the lover of her soul, says her name. And I imagine that Mary's, uh, in Mary's mind, she's almost spiraling back to that moment where she was last in that state of utter hopelessness and despair with demons. And Jesus speaks her name and casts them out. And so Jesus shows up again in her hopelessness and despair and says, Mary, it's so, such an intimate moment. And I, I just wonder if, um, if it was someone else in the garden that morning and they didn't know Jesus' voice, would, would they have missed an encounter with the risen Jesus? Maybe they would, I don't know. Would they have missed it? I wonder if, if Jesus said your name this morning, would you know whose voice it is? If Jesus said your name this morning, would you know whose voice it is? For me, I don't want to miss an encounter with Jesus because I don't know his voice. I don't want to miss an encounter with Jesus because I don't know his voice. So how do we learn his voice? We were at a, a conference this week at CFC. A guy called John Thompson was speaking, and we were talking about how uh, Jesus only did what the Father told him to do. Uh, so we were asking this question of, 
Um, how did Jesus know what the Father was telling him to do? Uh, and John Thompson was telling us that it was through spiritual disciplines. He did his ministry, but then often we see how he withdrew from the crowd. He went to be uh, with God in solitude and stillness and silence. He prayed early in the morning and late at night. He fasted. And it was by doing this that he was able to hear the voice of his father to tell him what to do. And so if we want to hear the voice of the Lord, if we want to learn the Lord's voice, we need to get good daily spiritual disciplines into our lives. Um, This is the the place where I uh, spend time with Jesus in the morning. I take about some mornings, it's half an hour, some mornings it's 45 minutes, some mornings it's an hour. I get up, make Tara her tea, she's still in bed, give her a cup of tea and then I go into the study. (laughs) Uh, But this is the place where I, I, I learn the Lord's voice and I don't hear God speak a big booming audible voice but the more I've done this in my life the more I've um, kind of got to know when it is the Lord's speaking so sometimes he might impress a, a verse on me and I just know that I know deep down that this is the Lord speaking to me or sometimes as I'm there just in stillness and silence I might get one word that pops into my mind and I just know that it's from the Lord or it might pop a name into my head and I know that I need to pray for that person or it might be a picture and then I'll ask the Lord what you know what does this picture mean what who is this for and um, it's in this space where I've learned to know the Lord's voice and um, he, he doesn't speak all the time but I don't want to miss an encounter because I don't know his voice. And so I keep showing up because I want to hear his voice. And that for any of you that, that have these times, that have a, a discipline where you're in um, time with God, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's very hard to put words to it, but you'll know where you just get that feeling where you know that you know that the Lord's putting something on your heart. Um, and so for those of you, you'll know what I'm talking about. So we need these good disciplines in our lives. John Thompson talked about fasting and how often we get our teaching around fasting wrong, how um, we can view it like, right, God will kind of go, well done, son, you gave up a meal, so I'll just attune my ear now and give you my attention. Right, tell me all you want. What is it that you want? But that's not really how fasting works. Fasting is where we actually um, give stuff up so that we can silence the noise of the world so that we can actually hear what it is that God is saying to us so that we can attune our ear to him and listen to him more clearly. Um, And so we need these good daily disciplines of fasting, of being in his presence and listening to his voice. If you want to hear and know the voice of the Lord, um, if you want deeper intimacy, then you need good disciplines in place. And then just getting to the reverence part of this story, Mary, Mary responded in reverence. When Mary hears Jesus say her name, she instantly cries, Rabboni, or Master. It's a, she responds with reverence. She's in awe of Jesus. She recognizes that he is Lord of Lords. And out of reverence, her natural um, response is to pledge allegiance to him, is to submit to his lordship. Um, she is ready to serve, to obey, to follow Jesus wherever that may lead. And if, you, if, if children have reverence and respect for their parents, they will obey them. And so in an act of reverence, um, Mary obeys Jesus and she goes and tells the other disciples the good news of the risen Jesus. And just a side note here, Mary is the first person in the history of the world to preach the gospel. Mary is the first person in the history of the world to preach the gospel. A female preacher commissioned by Jesus. Who would have thought it? 
Surely not. And there's lots of reasons why Mary maybe wouldn't have wanted to go and share this news. It's pretty absurd news. They might have thought that she's crazy. She's, the demons are back. Or they, they probably just wouldn't have listened to her because she's a woman. But no, in an act of reverence and obedience, she goes and she shares the news of the risen Savior because she has submitted to Jesus and his lordship. The more we encounter Jesus, the more we will cry, Master, and want to serve him, obey him, and share him, um, whatever the cost. Um, Without taking anybody else's thunder, next week, when we look at the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they've just encountered Jesus, and what do they do? They turn and they run seven miles back to Jerusalem in an act of reverence and obedience to tell others about the risen Jesus. In our churches today, we need this renewed reverence that comes with meeting um, with Jesus face to face. This reverence that reminds us we are not God, we are not the center of the world, and that we actually need to submit and obey um, the way of Jesus, whatever the cost. And finally, as the band come up, um, we're just going to respond to this this morning a little bit. Uh, but Mary's encounter with Jesus changed things. It changed things. It's significant that Jesus appeared first to Mary. It, Mary was in a, a, a woman in a context where men were privileged over women. And Mary, we know that she was uh, broken. She had had seven demons that had possessed her. And thirdly, Mary, along with the other women, were bringing um, spices and oils to go and tend to Jesus' body. And this was probably part of the grieving process. So we've got a, a, a marginalized, broken, grieving woman that Jesus appears to. Doesn't it say so much about God's character and nature that the first person, uh, the most important moment in history that he would choose to reveal himself to a marginalized, broken, grieving woman. And it's in this place where Mary's uh, standing outside the tomb in the garden, weeping and crying. She, she fears that Jesus is gone and gone forever. She's confused She's broken, she's in despair, she's weeping, mourning, and crying. But when she meets the risen Jesus, everything changes. She moves from despair to hope. She moves from sorrow to joy. She moves from mourning to rejoicing. You hear it in her voice when she goes to tell the others, I've seen the Lord, how things have turned around. When we encounter the risen Jesus, it changes things. Uh, and that's not to say that everything's going to be all easy uh, and everything will be all rosy when you meet Jesus. But he comes to meet us where we're at in our hopelessness and in our despair. He wants to meet with you today. He wants to bring change and transformation into your life. Jesus is saying your name this morning and he's inviting you into deeper intimacy and into a renewed reverence. But don't miss it. Don't miss it. So uh, as a band play, we're going to respond in a number of different ways. Maybe, maybe this morning you find yourself in a situation and you just need Jesus to come and to intervene and to bring about change. And if you would like prayer for that situation or circumstance that you're in where you just need the intervention of the resurrected Lord and his power in that situation, then there's people up here who would love um, to pray for you for that. 
If you're here this morning and you just really are longing and desiring that deeper intimacy with Jesus, then there's people up here that would love to pray that over you, that your times in the next few weeks with Jesus would be so consecrated. Or you might just want to respond however you feel led. You might want to hold out your hands as we worship. You might want to kneel. Maybe maybe you want to um, step into a renewed reverence this morning. Maybe uh, you want to submit to the Lordship once again and say, God, you are God and I am not. I want to put you on the throne of my heart and I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to serve you and obey you and share you with others regardless of the cost. And uh, maybe you want to kneel and just an act of reverence this morning and saying, God, I worship you and just laying everything down before him once again. Or I, I just want you to respond however you feel led this morning. But there's, there's some of our staff and elders at the front who would love love to pray for you um, this morning. But please know that encountering Jesus changes things. And he's saying your name this morning. So let's just take, take a moment to, to before, we, before we sing to respond, let's take a moment to hear the Lord's voice over us. To hear the Lord saying your name this morning. Wherever you find yourself, whatever situation you're in, he says your name. You're seen, you're known, and you're loved. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we um, jump to our feet as we just respond this morning? Again, just remember you can respond in any of those ways. And there's people at the front who'd love to pray with you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.